day is found in 1 Peter 2, 13-17. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as a supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should be silenced, that you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. There's, I'm going to show you a picture as we get started here. We're coming up. Back to the catacombs for a few seconds here. Oh, there we are. There we are. Now, this is just part of the group, but does that, pl- that space look familiar there? Kind of. A little bit. Not so much. Yes, there was uh, the teenagers and, and um, some of the college students, young adults, played grenade battle on Friday night and turned this whole area. And grenade battle is play basically dodgeball with little tiny nerf nerf balls and and it was it was pretty exciting eli sutherland just did a gave a great devotional but there was uh there's some of our kids brought um uh, brought uh guests and we're making sure that oh good kyle's on this we get battery changing up and uh it was just uh it's tremendous the the good stuff that happened but there's it's amazing what happens sometimes in this auditorium even, you know, things that, that we can use our imagination and change things into, but a uh, tremendous, tremendous time. Uh, there is, um, we'll go into uh, Luke chapter 4 here. Go ahead and turn there. Now, I'm going to say something here, and all we're asking right now is for prayers. Uh, long story short, and there'll be a lot more information coming, but as churches continue to expand into communities, uh, there becomes a time where, where we start looking for what does a second minister look like or additional staff within the church uh, to, to help out? What does that look like? And so we, uh, the elders and deacons and myself met here last week and we started praying through this. And, um, and we don't know what all that means at this point in time, but we're just asking for, for you to pray alongside us because this is a decision that all of us will make together as we, we go forward. And again, much more information coming at some point in time, as we know, but we'll just, con- ask, just ask you to pray at this point in time. Sound like a plan? All right, there we are. Okay, Luke chapter 4. Uh, we're going to start in, in verse 14. And what happens, if you remember from last week, Jesus had been, had been led by the Holy Spirit out into the wilderness. He was tempted, and Jesus overcame. And the next thing that happens is the Holy Spirit leads Jesus into a different place. And if you look in verse 14, it says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. So, so far, so good. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? But God's Spirit is going to lead Jesus out of the wilderness, which was a tough place, into one of the most difficult places, I believe, in his ministry. And Luke starts off with it. And so we're going to see here, as Jesus is led by the Holy Spirit, Teaching the synagogues countryside around. He becomes well known. Now that's, that's pretty good. That's what you want when you're trying to share the, the great news, isn't it? That people respond, that you become well known, that people are, are, are listening, and there is some kind of change that's happening. That's what we see here. But as we continue on, what happens is Jesus goes to another place. He goes to a synagogue in Nazareth. Okay, how many of you 
uh, and this won't be true for all of us, uh, but for myself, I know that growing up in a place that is not here, when I go back home uh, where I grew up, that place has a special place in my heart because I grew up there almost all of my life from the time I was born to I graduated high school, almost all of it in the same house. And so when I travel on Highway 2 from Kalispell going to Libby, right when you get past Happy's Inn, you drop down into the Fisher River Valley, and that starts to feel a little more like home. You get a little further, and the Cabinet Wilderness rises to the south or to the left of the road, and things start to open up as you come Valley, and it feels just a little more like home. And when I go down the big hill, do you know what I'm talking about? When you go into Libby, there's a big hill that you go down. I grew up right just in the woods off the bottom of that hill. And as I get to the house where my folks still live, I walk around out in the woods, and, and I remember as a little kid, I remember how that stump got there because I cut the tree down or something like that. And there's all these memories come back. I remember my climbing tree that uh, the top of it is broken out because one of my friends got up to the top and started, started, um, you know, he's too heavy for where he was at and the top of the tree broke off and he fell. It seemed like 50 feet. I know it wasn't that high, but he fell down on his back and I couldn't talk for a little while afterwards. All those memories come flooding back. You know, if you go back home to where maybe you have a place like that where all these memories come flooding back and, and Jesus would have spent almost all of his life there in Nazareth. He would have grown up at this synagogue, grown up with these people there. And we see what happens is he, in verse 16, he says, he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, and as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. And we'll take a break there for a second. But I can relate somewhat to what Jesus is talking about here, what's going to happen with Jesus. Because as I've shared, when I go back to Libby and I preach in Libby, that is the toughest place for me to preach because there's people there that changed my diapers. Okay? It's just different. It's just different. I think, what, what do I have to say to these people? I learned so much from them. I grew, and, and they shared so much with me. And I can't imagine the emotion that Jesus would have felt as he is heading back. He's been to these different synagogues where maybe he knows somebody. Probably a lot of places he may not have known anybody. But he goes in, he shares, and there's a response. And as he's traveling down the road and he's going back to his hometown, the place where he grew up, the place where people knew him since he was very small, what types of things he must be feeling and what types of things he must be wrestling with. And again, the Spirit of God is leading him here. The Spirit of God is leading him to go and, and do something that's going to be difficult here. So he takes this scroll, opens it up, and here he starts reading in verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he, he reads there from, from um, the prophet Isaiah. And this is what, what comes out of this. Is Jesus says something about his authority. Because he says in just a second here that this, it's me. This is me that you're, you're reading about here. The Spirit of the Lord is on me and the Spirit has anointed me. And so Jesus right here is claiming where his authority is coming from. The Spirit of God, just like all the other great, or at least most of them in the Old Testament, you see some of these great prophets, the Spirit of God came on them and they were led God's people. That's the same as true with me right now. I am claiming the Spirit of God working in me. And also, the Spirit of God has anointed me. People were anointed oftentimes who were, were prophets, who were, who were going to be kings or priests. 
and they were they would they would bow down and someone in authority would pour oil usually olive oil on their head and anoint them as a ceremony saying you are going to take on this new ministry this says i've been appointed the spirit of the lord is on me i've been anointed to do this work and this is my work right here my work my mission and my message is to bring the good news to the poor poor don't have much good news do we when you've been in a place where maybe some of us have been in places where we're really poor or we feel like there's, we're, we're missing a lot, that's not a place of happiness, not a place of joy. And Jesus says, I'm here to bring good news to the poor. And not only that, I'm here to bring freedom to the prisoners. And freedom oftentimes translated in Luke is forgiveness, bringing forgiveness to the prisoners, people who are in, held in, in bondage by sin or by demons or, or these terrible sicknesses, whatever it may be. I'm bringing forgiveness and freedom People. I'm bringing sight to the blind, not only people that can't see, and we're going to see that Jesus heals a bunch of those, but people who are not able to understand the Word of God. I'm going to bring light to them. I'm going to bring understanding to them so they can, they can go forward. They can understand something. They will not be spiritually blind anymore. And I'm going to lead the oppressed to be free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. In other words, let the good times roll. I'm here. This is it. It's time. This is the good stuff. And so the response of people, think about this. Jesus is in this home synagogue where people have known him his entire life and he shares this. I'm the one that is going to be bringing all of this. And verse 20 says, He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What do you think your response might be? His friends and family, look at verse 22. This is what happens. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? Now, these are his people. And they hear these words from him and they, they're amazed. Yeah, isn't this great? Isn't this wonderful, the things that Jesus is saying? Isn't he cute? In fact, isn't he Joseph's son? You remember he's the, the carpenter's son. We remember him when he was a kid. This guy's great. and he's wonderful. Isn't that, isn't that sweet? But as the Spirit is leading Jesus in Nazareth, being popular or being loved by his family is not enough at this point in time. And Jesus loves his people so much that he cannot share the rest of the message with them. And if you continue on what happens here, Jesus in verse 23 says to them, as he refines and helps people understand what his mission is going to be, he says, Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself, and you will tell me, Do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. And so Jesus preempts what's going to happen next. He says, Doctor, this, this is the proverb, right? Doctor, heal yourself. This is a way of saying, mm, You need to worry about you, bud. This is, Doctor, if you're a doctor, you need to heal yourself first before you worry about healing anybody else, okay? That's the idea. It's like if, if there's a physician... Who, uh, who's a pulmonologist, one who, who focuses on, on working on lungs and taking care of people's lungs, if they chain smoke, you know, you need to worry about yourself before you worry about anybody else. Okay, that's the, that's the point, the, the phrase that is used here. Worry about yourself before you worry about anybody else. And, you know, we kind of want to see these signs and these miracles that we've seen that you've been doing, Capernaum, you've been doing around. Word has got back to us, and we want to see this happen as well. You notice when they say, isn't this Joseph's son? They didn't say, this is God's son. They're not there yet. 
And so what happens is Jesus continues on. He says, surely you're going to doubt what I'm going to tell you next. And this is going to be hard on you. But verse 24, truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel at Elijah's time. When the sky was shut and for three and a half years, there was a serious famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy at the time of Elisha the prophet. And yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. Okay, so what Jesus is telling them right here is that God's mission and his message includes the Gentiles, people that make you terribly uncomfortable. Because if you look at those stories there, Elijah visits the, the widow in Zarephath and then, and then Naaman, that, is, uh, that Aramean general, come, or the Syrian general coming to be see Some of the greatest miracles that were done during the time of Elijah and Elisha were done to the benefit and blessing of people that were not even part of the people of God. They were Gentiles. And so what Jesus is saying, in essence, to his home people is, okay, I know that you love me. I know that you want to see great things being done. But what you've got to understand about the kingdom of God here, you've got to understand about my message here, is that just as the prophets went to the Gentiles, my message is going to go to the Gentiles as well. And I want you to know that straight up. I want you to know that on the front end of things here. Now, for us, that's, that's probably tough for us to get our mind around because we're 2,000 years away. We know the message of Jesus. And for us, it's like, yeah, what, what's, that? what's so wrong about that? Why didn't they rejoice in that? But maybe it's important for us to understand that at any given time, there's people that we do not like and we, we just wish that they would go away. And that was definitely true in Jesus' day. This little small-town synagogue where Jesus had grown up, apparently for them, even speaking the word Gentile, speaking about Gentiles or any blessing that could come upon the Gentiles was not going to be accepted whatsoever. And Jesus shares, this is what's going to happen. And uh, things go well. They say, okay, yeah, because of that, sure, that's no problem. We'll change. No, not so much. Look at verse 28. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of town, and took him to the brow of a hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked through the crowd and went on his way. Just imagine how fast that changed from welcome Jesus, welcome home, we remember your dad, we're so excited you're here, to we are so upset with you, we're going to go and we're going to throw you off the cliff right now because of what you just said. How dare you say the message of God might go to the Gentiles? No, uh-uh, we're not on board with that. We're not going to think about that. If this message goes outside us being you know, our little holy huddle right here, then forget about that. Wow. I can imagine as Jesus is walking through the crowd right there, remembering the stories of people, I remember that I learned this from this person. I remember I played with this person's children. I remember all of this. As he's walking through the crowd and he's walking into wherever God's Spirit is going to lead him next. And his heart is hurting because the people in this world, some of the people that were closest to him, were the ones that have the most violent response, negative response to the message that he brings. Tough deal. Really tough deal. And I think about this... um, this week, Jesus' mission and message. Here's some message, things for us to learn. We'll create conflict within our friends and family. That will be the case. I can tell you from my own experience, and 
and I grew up in a, in a very godly family, uh, a Christian home. My parents, I believe, really tried to demonstrate godliness in, in all sorts of different ways. But I can tell you the most difficult, most painful discussions I have ever had spiritually with other people have been within my own home. Because there's times where my parents have called me higher, told me that I needed to act different, and if I was going to be part of the kingdom of God and continue to, to that I needed to, I needed to be different. And you know what's happened? Sometimes, there's been a few times where my mom and dad and I have sat down at the table and we've had a discussion that went the other direction. And mom and dad, I love you so much, but this is something I see that is, that is not, is not something that's, that's moving you and others towards God. We've got to wrestle through that. And I'm not going to tell you the details of all those discussions that have happened at different times, but I know for myself, and Sylvia grew up in a, in a godly family as well, is Sylvia has had situations where she's talked with her parents, with her aunts, with her sisters, and had the most difficult, some of the most painful discussions spiritually that we've ever had to have in those contexts. And that's what Jesus does right here, is that sometimes maybe the thought is, now, when we become Christians, if you don't have any Christian family, uh, you, you become a Christian and, and you're the only one in your family that's that way, it's, you think, wow, you know, all these other people that have all of these, these brothers and sisters and everybody that grew up in the church, look at the blessings, and that is a great blessing. But understand, just because we're blood does not mean that we get a free ride or that things are easy for us. The, the toughest decisions and the discussions we ever have are deciding, is family going to be first or is God going to be first? That's tough. And it's there and it's real. And every spiritual family that I know has had to have these type of discussions at some point in time. It's just real. It happened to Jesus. It's going to happen with us. And we have to decide, am I going to allow comfort and blood to be more important than what Jesus' mission is? And I've got to wrestle with that. And I know that for, for myself... My parents and I have called each other higher several times throughout the years. And it's not been easy, but it's been right. But I'm so glad that my parents have not been people that have said, well, you know, I guess God's number one unless, unless Chris, you know, it makes Chris uncomfortable. <laughs> Never, ever have they operated that way. And I've tried to be the same with my folks and my sister, is that approaching things, saying God is number one, and my job is to try to gently and tr- but truthfully blood relatives higher because all of us have made that commitment to follow Christ. Tough times. That's not easy. But that's exactly what Jesus walks into there in that synagogue, going back home, sharing the message that the message of God is going to go out beyond the synagogue, go out beyond their people, go out beyond into people that do not know God whatsoever. And they're going to be welcomed into God's kingdom. I didn't accept it. Now, my guess is that these people at some point in time came later. In fact, we know that Jesus is... Jesus' brothers come on board later spiritually. They weren't on board at this point in time. And maybe his brothers were some of the biggest instigators right here. We don't know that. But what we do know is that Jesus decided here that no matter what conflict the message of God creates in my own family, I'm going to choose God first and foremost. And God has a way, and what I've seen is that God has a way of, of sorting things out in the end when we choose those tough decisions and choose to put God first. So Jesus' mission and message will create conflict within our friends and family. It always does. And our job, every one of us that is here, our job is to say, God is first. I'm going to gently pursue God no matter what anybody else does and help other people grow.
higher towards God in this process. Is that fair? You see that? That discussion there in, in, um, in chapter 4 of, of Luke. And also, Jesus' mission and message takes us to uncomfortable people and uncomfortable places. It does that. Boy, there is um, something I... Oh, let me share this. Uh, that I know that we as a church have been praying for Lolita Morgan as she's um, working with, with girls that are have been uh, pulled into uh, sex trafficking in India and is something that God placed on her heart very deeply there, and, and we continue to pray for that. I know that when I went to Italy, something that happened is I wrote a few notes to my one of my professors about how... Um, how frustrated I was about some things that happened and some things that were good. And he told me later, he said, Chris, can I use all of these in my missions class? Because this is a great discussion of, of what culture shock looks like and some of that. Because there is, um, within missions and living overseas, what happens is the first six months, everything's great. And then from six months to a year and a half to two years, uh, it's not so great. It's a lot harder, and you realize that you unlearn everything you thought you learned in the first six months. And then and then after the two-year mark, things change. But I, I appreciated this this discussion right here, because Lolita has found a, a church family to be a part of, and um, this is what she said here. At the end of the sermon, the congregation had a special prayer for one of their members who is losing everything because of his heart for Christ. His family has disowned him, and he has lost his job, yet he is prevailing. Does that sound like... What Jesus is talking about here, what Jesus demonstrates, that there's sacrifice. Do you know that what they prayed for, they didn't pray that his family would change their minds or that a situation would be easier for personal comfort. No, they prayed for courage, strength, and perseverance. That, through this trial, his faith would be strengthened and others would be drawn to Christ. Wow, how different that is from... Some of the time, things that we hear from Christians in the States, and I'm paraphrasing some of this, if Christians would be this loving and authentic everywhere, the world would be so different. How radical would our churches be if people followed Christ, not because they, we think that God will bless them extra special, but because we want a relationship with him in spite of the consequences. How do we pray for people in trials? Do we expect, what do we expect from God's blessings? Maybe comfort and privileges have, have blinded us. Have we ever considered that our blessings could Satan keeps us comfortable and, and lobotomized is the term she uses. Good thing to think about. In our comfort, we have time to ruminate on politics, offensive memes, and football players. But what do our about us? What does our encouragement to one another say? What are we passionate about? And most of all, what are we truly willing to sacrifice? The good... Uh, when we get outside of our borders, sometimes there's there's all sorts of things that we realize that we're blessed with and maybe that we're convicted by our, by our own stuff. But Jesus coming home showed something very important, that God's going to take us to places that are uncomfortable and people that are uncomfortable. Maybe we've got a neighbor that we do not like. Well, God has called us to shine Christ in those areas. Maybe we have a family member that we just do not like. God has called us to shine light in those circumstances. Maybe we have a church member that we do not like. God has called us to shine light into those circumstances. That's what God has called us to be, is to be people that, that exactly what Jesus' mission is here, and we'll go through that more later, is to provide healing and to bring people into this loving relationship with Jesus. And Jesus' mission and message is also is about good news, freedom, recovery of sight, ending oppression, and proclaiming God's favor. And this is living the abundant life of Christ. That's what this is all about. Jesus says, 
Proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Let the good times roll. Here it is, because this is what I am bringing to the world, and this is what I want people to have. Because there's so much burden out there. There's so many people that are oppressed. There's so much just the disaster that is our world. I'm bringing something very, very different. Why don't you get on board? Why don't you come with me? And some people will not understand this. And as Jesus' family members demonstrated, sometimes they didn't understand this. But for us, what God calls us to do is live every day promoting this vision and this mission that God gives with us. And, um, and maybe for us to, to remember what's most important. There's all sorts of things that can distract us from the things that are most important. But this is what Jesus is all about, and that's what he wants us to be about, living the abundant life and sharing the abundant life of Jesus with the people around us. If you'd like prayers of the church or you would like to, uh, to become a Christian, the elders are waiting in the back and they'd love to pray with you. Let's stand and sing together.